Okay, Jennifer, it's really great to have you on this week's podcast for Caring Support. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, I should say it's our pleasure because we really enjoy meeting incredible people that are doing wonderful things in healthcare, and you certainly are. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know you're based in Kansas City, and how's life treating you down there? Things are pretty good, and we've got really great farmers markets around here. Um, things are really local and central, so it's a really great place to be. Wow, geez, between that and home of the barbecue, I should go there because I love all of that. All <laughs> yeah, right, definitely come visit. Yeah, I will one day, I promise you, uh, I'll probably be there. Um, okay, so Jennifer, I'm going to get started, if that's okay. We, of course, created some questions for you. And what I really, uh, I love a lot of the stuff you do on social media, uh, Jennifer, but what's really nice too is that there's definitely some, you know, some really great alignment between what we're doing with our platform, Caring Support, and what you're doing as it, as it uh, you know, all the things that you do, I should say. And, and you know, now kind of honing in on your own kind of business, I think it's wonderful. So, you know, we created some uh, questions. And so maybe at first, if, if you could start and, and sort of succinctly break down a little bit about your journey and your work for us, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, I um, first started as a caregiver for my grandmother at home in Massachusetts, and it was a really um, wholesome and comprehensive experience. Um, it started when I was around 12. And my grandmother had a stroke and then she developed cancer and then eventually she was admitted into hospice care and it was just a really um, eye-opening experience it really showed me how healthcare works and she didn't speak any english and only spoke vietnamese so i was bilingual growing up and it was really a challenge making sure that she got the health care that she needed because she couldn't communicate directly with her providers so that was something that i had in the back of my mind as i was growing up i was um, wanting to be an advocate for other patients and to make sure they get the care that they need because let's say if she was in senior living for example she wouldn't have thrived because nobody would have been able to talk with her they wouldn't have created the food that she liked and they wouldn't have had activities that she enjoyed doing and those three things really made me think about the fact that like all care isn't created equal and i wanted a way to create something that would help prevent this from happening to other people so um, my first semester of college, I was a biology major and my grandmother passed away at my first semester of college. And it really made me rethink my trajectory in life and where, where I wanted to go. I wanted to be a geneticist and I thought I had my whole life planned out ahead of me and it forced me to reflect and rethink. So I switched and became an English major and really leaned on my writing skills and wanted to hone my craft. Then eventually I, um, found my way into health communication as a major in degree program. And then I started working in home care agencies um, as a caregiver. Shortly after that, I started working in offices as a scheduler, intake manager, training liaison, after hours person. So I got to dabble in a bunch of different roles um, that coincided with other departments. Like a lot of my work was networking, marketing, building relationships, taking intake calls. And I really got a holistic sense of how a home care business operates from the inside out. And I saw the same problems from Massachusetts to Nebraska to Kansas. And I've had the chance to work with a lot of other agencies through my consulting work. Um, I wanted to create my own nest egg during the pandemic because um, I got my hours cut in half as a scheduler. And I was like, well, still got to make money, right? 
So I wanted to give back to home care agencies and their clients and caregivers by being a marketing and operations consultant. So I was able to utilize my writing skills that I kind of had, but I didn't really make that much money off of it. So I wanted to create something that I could use um, and support my family and lean on my writing skills and give back to our community. So I've been able to work with um, an agency in Manitoba. I've been able to work with agencies in California and all across the country. And I've been able to get a holistic sense of how business works and helping them grow their operations, um, build their training programs, make suggestions, change their operations and streamline things so they're easier for the owner. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's been a really great journey so far. And I've been trying to develop and grow my career as a writer. Um, so it's been a really great time. Wow, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, and um, I know you're super smart and intelligent and, uh, and a really beautiful person. So, you know, I can well imagine that a lot of places would love working with you because, you know, I know that you're going to not only give them something to think about and bring value, but you know, I think it's the manner in which you work is is something where people think, yeah, you know, the kind of person who's kind and is mindful, uh, aware, and this is really important. I mean, this is healthcare, and um, when it is healthcare, I mean, you know, I think in some respects, as much as parts of it are, are run like a business and treated like a business, that doesn't necessarily mean it should always be that way, right? Exactly, but, it's a business of people. Exactly. So, okay, so we're talking about uh, best practices for staffing and training in senior care. So, um, what would you say is your recommendations for companies to schedule an orientation? Sure. Um, best practices I have when it comes to like staffing is to, you know, match people, clients and caregivers based on personality and availability before evaluating technical skills. I say that because um, a lot of us just pick well, we have a Hoyer Lift client, so we need a um, caregiver that's trained in a Hoyer Lift and then just mash them together and send them off. And that creates a lot of discord because oftentimes it's personality and soft skills that um, contribute to a reason why a client might uh, not want somebody back or their demeanor, they're rude or something along those lines. Oftentimes it has nothing to do with their training. So it's important to match based on a caregiver's availability and their personality um, when scheduling them because a lot of clients might be quiet and they'd prefer someone who is also quiet or maybe they're loud and would benefit from someone who is also loud and matches their energy but those synergies have to be in place first before you even talk about training because training for home care is really malleable and let's say if somebody does need that type of training you can train them on an ad hoc basis on that skill or that set of skills before sending them out to a client but to get that personality and availability right is critical in order to contribute to retention and recruitment aspects um, the other part is to be in consistent communication with your caregivers um, and other people as well i call it the triangle of communication that's how i've been taught to think about this is make sure that your clients aware of the schedule their family members aware of the schedule and the caregivers aware of the schedule so every time you fill a shift that means three calls at least. Sometimes there is a couple of different siblings involved or other providers involved that need to be aware. Um, so oftentimes it may require more than three, but it's a minimum of three calls that need to be made unless they prefer a different mode of communication, which you should also note, like if they prefer email or if they prefer um, 
know, direct communication. Like if they visit the office and want their schedule in person, you can verbalize it, but make sure that you understand their preferred um, communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I love that. And I mean, communication is so critical. It, it's amazing how sometimes when things break down, when the problems, you, you often trace it back to the lack of communication. And, you know, it's it's people not closing the loop, making sure sometimes that things are not circled back and it's there's closure to stuff so that, you know, definitively, yep, this person's running with it. Because really, at the end of the day, that's that's what it's about is understanding accountability, knowing who's going to do what, when and how and et cetera. Um, I totally agree. So now the next question, maybe you've already kind of touched on that a bit, but maybe if you could sort of tell us a little bit about what uh, on a more, a little more granular level without being too detailed, um, what's involved in orientation as it relates to, you know, procedures, policies, code of ethics, et cetera. Sure. Um, the first thing I would make sure to go over is to go over your culture. I think that it's really hard to explain culture in a, in an interview or a remote setting, like via a call. Um, so when you do have your people in orientation, really go over your culture. What do you do to enhance your caregiver's experience outside of them working? Because caregiving and home care especially is a very solitary type of work. Your caregivers are working one-to-one -one with clients in their homes, so oftentimes they feel isolated, alone, and unsupported. So you need to explain how you're going to support your caregivers while they're working elsewhere but also make sure that they feel like they're a part of a team in a community, even though they work independently, because they still have a supervisor, they still have an office team, and maybe you have a peer mentorship program. Make sure you talk about that in your orientation to make sure that your caregivers know who is there to support them. And oftentimes they don't even know who their direct supervisor is. So also make sure to tell them who their supervisor is and also explain and break down who to call about what. Who do they call about scheduling changes? Who do they call about time off? Who do they call about a client issue? Who do they call when they have a discipline issue? Or just in general, like listing out different scenarios and who they should contact when, how they should contact them, like if it's an after hour situation, how to handle that type of call. Or explain when you're calling off, this can't be done via text, for example. Make sure you outline those types of communication because if you don't say it, you'll find out really quickly that you should have. Um, and also make sure that your caregivers know what support systems are available to them, um, whether that's through email or they have a, a peer mentor. A lot of home care agencies are implementing peer mentorship programs, at least for the first 90 days of a new caregiver's experience to make sure that they have a peer that they can talk to, someone that they can um, confide in, that they might not be comfortable talking to the office about. Um, that way they can relay concerns or someone to talk to training about like, I really want to get trained in dementia care, for example. They would have someone to talk to about that who is a peer and someone who's been in their shoes. So it helps to develop that rapport and make sure they're comfortable for their first 90 days. And then they can kind of be left to their own devices with the office's additional support. But these are really great programs that I've seen uh, with great success. So those are a couple things that I would make sure to touch on in your orientation. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I love that a lot. It, and you know, when you're talking about culture, it's kind of like, you know, on our platform, every healthcare, health and wellness organization has a profile. And a lot of times when they they post a lot of their marketing info and what makes them so awesome and that, and I tell people that, you know, this is all good, but really at the end of the day, the question you really want to be answering is, why would I want to work with you? 
And, you know, and what does that look like? You know, how can you talk about your culture? Uh, because that's not always easy. Like, I agree with you 100%. And because this is not something sometimes we can just put down on paper. We need to make sure people understand that what separates each organization and makes them uniquely different is, is what support mechanisms are placed, what acknowledgement, recognition, uh, stuff that's ongoing. It's never ending. It's never ending. It's not something you do once and then go, okay, yeah, you know, they're good. Uh, you have to, you have to be constantly on top of it because, you know, in today's world, so much is happening. People can, can get uh, riled. They can be uh, burned out. They can be, and like you said, often on their own, one-on-one. -on -one. And so when they know there's a solid structure in place, whether it comes with mentorship and other things, then that, that can be huge. And, um, I agree with you implicitly. You know, I'll tell you, when we come your way, I'm going to have to call you up and say, listen, Jennifer, we need to be working together for sure. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Now you got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So recruiting recruitment, and this is up our alley for sure, of course, with our platform. What would you say are the most effective channels to attract candidates? Um, I'll first start with where you shouldn't be. I know that Indeed is a terribly common um, recruitment channel, and it's really good for volume, but when it comes to retention, it's very difficult um, to retain applicants that come through Indeed. They have the highest turnover rates according to the um, latest Home Care Pulse report. Um, so I would definitely try and steer clear of Indeed if possible. I mean, I understand that it is really good for volume, so that's why I caveated it with that. But some solutions I recommend are pre-intent, and client funnels from Home Care Marketing Bros. Um, Augusta Care is also a really great solution for recruitment when it comes to Facebook. They really specialize and niche down when it comes to Facebook recruitment. So they optimize and enhance your Facebook page to recruit caregivers in your market. And they're really great at it. And I've really connected with their team. So they're definitely a great place to be when it comes to Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, there's also no silver bullet though when it comes to a best recruitment channel. The best bet you can make is to be where your caregivers are. Where do they live online and study that? Like, do you notice that a lot of caregivers are on TikTok or have you seen them on Clubhouse? Like be where they are. You don't need to be on every channel. I think that every everyone tries to be everywhere at once and you don't need to do that. You don't need to be on every social media channel or outlet, but know where your caregivers are. Do they prefer texting? Make sure that you, incorporate that into your recruitment mix when it comes to communication or adding them into a recruitment drip after they apply. Make sure that you utilize the channels that you already have and make it as personal as possible. And make it feel like it's custom to them. Oh, they're really talking to me individually. Or what if you got a customized video from the owner of an agency saying, hey, blah, blah, blah. I really appreciate getting your application and would love to talk to you. Can you schedule you know, a 30 minute interview at this link? Would love to chat with you soon. Imagine how that applicant might feel if they got a video like that or a quick voice message like that. That would change their experience or maybe don't take 10 days to get back to them, which is like the average um, get back to you date when it comes to how many days after a kicker replies that they get a response. So if you're taking you know, your sweet time and getting back to applicants, you're gonna have a very hard time recruiting. So make sure that you're on top of getting applications and respond to them even over the weekend. You still wanna be getting back to them within at least an hour of their app, of setting through their application. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, very good point. Love it. Uh, it you, you certainly think like I do. You know, it's funny up in our area, like we were one of my colleagues, actually, the president and CEO, we're very good friends as well. We, we went down to a conference recently put on by a private college and with this uh, caregiving uh, group, Omni Media, it's called. And they basically put on an event that was related to recruitment, retention and technology. And uh, I made a suggestion on somebody that can speak about retention all day long because no one, most of the time, no one really addresses this. It's been really a case of just keep constantly bringing people in, bringing people in, bringing people in. That's what HR thinks their job is for recruiting. And that's partly what they do. But, you know, what you can't talk about half the time in these organizations is bad leadership, uh, things like that, that unfortunately do exist. And, you know, the old, the age old adage that people don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses is so true. Mm -hmm. Very often people will feel more appreciated somewhere else because everyone thinks, oh, they're leaving because of the money. Are they? You sure about mm -hmm. that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but the thing is, is I, I was speaking on stage with um, a bunch of recruiters and of course our takes a bit different. So like on social media, we need to be everywhere because we're also more diverse. Like when we're going after healthcare organizations, well, we need to be on LinkedIn. We need to be on some of those places where more the high profile type VPs and whatever are usually at, right? And then uh, I agree with you, Facebook and, and all these other things. But, you know, for us, we are on TikTok, Instagram, you dedicated YouTube. We do it all because... And I, because I said to people, and Jennifer, you'll get this because you come from all those different backgrounds and the social media and everything. And I said to people that the days of, you know, opening the same old doors are not going to yield new results. It's not going to happen. And mm. what we need to be doing is we have to get more creative. You need to be employing, uh, you know, social media marketing and marketing people in general as part of what you're going to do to say, we can't just keep doing the same old things. I agree with you. Like we're, we're sort of up against Indeed, but you know, we're not really because we specialize just in healthcare and health and wellness. So with that in mind, what happens you see is that we get targeted results with that and people go, oh my God, this is a refreshing change when it comes to either the schools being on the platform and sharing profiles instantly instead of working in silos or you know, the healthcare organizations that are going, oh my God, this is great because I don't have to weed through all the manufacturing and retail and, and whatever else categories that exist. Um, but yeah, I would love if you shared that that report about Indeed, by the way, that you mentioned. I, I haven't seen that. I'd love to see that. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying. I think that a lot of times we, we, we can't necessarily think that there's the all-encompassing solution. We're working on it really hard to make that happen. But at the same time, I tell people, you know, we're so much more than our platform. We're this huge marketing machine. We have six plus people in marketing alone uh, because we do so many things to help attract people to the platform for our clients. This is so critical, which means, and I agree with you, you have to be where they are. This is a totally new market. Right. So, right. And exactly. And, you know, everywhere might mean where you need to be. Like if your caregivers are everywhere, then that means you need to be everywhere. But it doesn't right. necessarily mean that you have to be everywhere. Well, I jokingly tell people that I work with, I said, I got kind of that Grant Cardone mindset on this. I always I say I, I think of his line is love me or hate me. You're going to know me. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's right. I'm like, 
Yeah, but for me, it's always about leading with helping others. It's always about bringing value. And our platform's the same way. It's really an extension of so many people in the company's own personalities because we're there connecting people. We're bringing people together. We're creating and, and sh shortening and streamlining the hiring process and making it much more simple. But, you know, and just as a side point on that conference I was at recently, there were so many people in HR there and they were going on about how they were tired of being ghosted by candidates and all these different things. And I'm saying, yeah, but you know what? Prior to COVID, I hate to say this, but most people in HR were, were ghosting candidates. Right. And it's not new. No, it's not new. It's just all of a sudden the, the the flip side. So now you understand where they're coming from. And this really should be an opportunity for people to develop empathy and to realize, you know what? I need to keep people in the loop. I need to, you know, like you said, the communication stuff is so critical. So once companies have identified potential candidates, what are the best interview questions that they could ask in an interview process? Sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different questions out there that people are asking, but you know, you really can't get a full understanding of how a caregiver is truly going to work with you until they start. But there are a few questions that I think you could ask that could give you kind of a gauge of how they would perform on the job. Um, one of them being, you know, if you had a personal conflict that uh, interfered with your work, how would you handle that? Like you'll hear, you know, oh, I had, might have a babysitting issue. I have, you know, a parent or sibling in place that could you know, take care of them while I'm gone um, and just understanding how they organize their life, how they prioritize things, but also make sure that as an employer that you are backing your employees up. Hey, you know, I understand if you have a personal conflict that comes up, you know, we don't want to impede on your personal life. That's an interview question for you as well. It's not just for the applicant. It's a choice for you to take the onus and kind of turn it around and give applicants a sense of how you would take care of them. Because it's a two-way street. Interviews are not just one-way streets. And I feel like a lot of people are just using these as ways to vet out caregivers. But it's also a way for them to vet out you as a potential employer. Like, are you going to support them if they needed a day off? A lot of places I've worked with in the past, you don't get any time off, including unpaid time off, until a year after. Or they don't offer paid holidays. Um, so this is a really great opportunity for you to showcase what you truly offer in terms of culture and environment for your applicants. So definitely make sure that you take the chance to answer that as well when you are on the employer side of things. And um, I also ask when you're working with a client living with dementia, for example, and they start yelling at you, what would you do next? It's kind of like a clinical competency question and helping them to give you an answer that gives you an understanding of how they perform. And that could be various things that can also indicate a lack of training. And even if they give you a poor answer or maybe not the right answer or the one that you're looking for, this is an opportunity for you to provide training and for you to provide correction, redirection, and showcase what you know. Because if you know the correct answer, maybe you've taken the training yourself or you're a dementia care expert and you can be an authoritative figure that helps to mentor them into a better caregiver. And I think that's super valuable because caregivers want education. And a lot of people aren't giving them the proper training and education that they're looking for. A lot of caregivers want to pursue higher education and don't have those opportunities and doors open for them simply because of the wages that they make. And that's an opportunity for you, too, as an employer to justify why a caregiver should work with you. Um, and lastly, um, what's a challenge you run into at work and how did you overcome it? 
understanding how an employee approaches a challenge is super critical to how they'll respond to challenges with you and also approach this as an employer as well. We encountered a, an employee that wasn't performing up to par and we put them in a performance improvement plan and over three months, we helped to develop them professionally, personally, and they were promoted at the end of it. Like, wouldn't that be a great success story to share? You know, don't penalize people for getting things wrong. Show them the right way, help them understand where they got it wrong and then help them understand where they can go next, what their next steps are. So really think about interviews as a two-way street, that it's an opportunity for you to be on the chopping block as well, or justify why you shouldn't be. And those are my like couple of interview questions that you should ask. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Um, this is this is being this is really great because I, you know, I think you think a lot like I do. I'm I'm a huge proponent of emotional intelligence, and you know, a lot of times I tell people, please, you know, you don't give up on people. You don't ask people right away. Is you think of think of the process to start new and training somebody. What if maybe that person is just kind of like you know, just needs some some work, needs some time spent when they need a support mechanism. Maybe, you know, it, it's understanding. It's interesting, uh, a person I know uh, up here in Canada that uh, specializes in retention, a couple ladies actually, and they, you know, she was saying at this recent conference, they said, you know, rather than letting people go out the door, are you doing stay interviews? But people are looking like she just spoke Mandarin. And, you know, the thing is, is, yeah, these are the kinds of things that you start to wonder. See, on our platform, people can work proactively and they can see people are on it. And sometimes they see the look in their face. And I say, let me guess, you spotted an employee. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. So now you see this is a tremendous opportunity to try and find out why they're leaving. Don't wait till they're gone when there's nothing you can do about it and not even understand why they left. You're just going to run with assumptions, right? They're going to think, oh, well, they went for more money or whatever it might be, but that may not be the case. And a lot of times when we take the time to find out where people are at and what they need, you'll find out some things about our own business. Like you say, very often, whether it's HR or whoever is doing the actual hiring, the the situation might very well be that these people need to really understand that they too are in a similar situation, that they need to really be much more mindful, right? Anyway. Absolutely. And if you're waiting to get, you know, somebody's two week notice to then take the initiative to talk to them about their employment, it's already too late. They've already made their mind up. There's, exactly. you know, there's little that you can do at this point to yeah, you know, absolutely. Steer, steer them. 100%. All right. So next question to kind of segue into that. What are the most common staffing issues you've identified so far? And what would you recommend companies do to solve them? And we kind of touched on this sure. a bit, but you can elaborate. Go ahead. You got it. Um, sometimes I find that, you know, families are set up with a poor expectation of what they're actually getting themselves into. A lot of families may come from a private caregiving situation where they hired somebody directly and only worked with them. So setting up those clear communication expectations, like you will be speaking with the agency and we will send a caregiver to you, but outside of the caregiver being there, you will communicate with the office and we will kind of handle all the administrative and um, other other things. But also make sure that they understand how many caregivers they're going to be working with, or at least their range. Because a lot of families will be like, you know, I've cycled through three caregivers in the last three months, and this is not what I wanted. It's a really tough recruitment market nowadays. We are experiencing a, you know, gigantic caregiver shortage, or at least that's what they're portraying it to be. Um, 
And a lot of families are set up with an expectation that they'll only have one caregiver, or at least that's the expectation they have in their head. Um, so make sure you're kind of being honest about what this situation is actually going to look like for a family. Because once they've only had one caregiver for, let's say, a couple months, and that caregiver needs some time off, or they're going to be switched on to another client for XYZ reasons, make sure that you set them up with that expectation too. Like if you just take a caregiver away from a family, you're going to need to explain why, or at least to the degree that you can, because um, obviously you don't want to give away um, you know, private information that's protected. But make sure that you're setting people up with honest expectations. Caregivers too. If they're expecting you to work with one client for 40 hours a week, is that actually going to be the case? Or are they going to be working with three different clients for various hours? They don't have breaks in between. Make sure you let them know that. Will you be working with, you know, five clients? Maybe not, or maybe you will. But make sure you're honest about those things and communicate with them when there's a schedule change. Because families generally don't have a problem with a schedule change, but if they don't know who's coming or somebody else comes that they weren't expecting, that's when the issues start. Because they're like, well, I wasn't expecting this person to be here. Who is this? Who is a stranger coming to my house? That's their approach because they don't know who the person is. So what if you took the call and said, hey, I have so-and-so coming over to your house. Um, they are new to you. Um, they are not new to us and they've been with us for a while. Here is some of their experience and they really enjoy cooking. Perfect. You know, a family would probably really appreciate a call like that to have some context or history as to where this person came from, or, or oh, they have a CNA license, or they have a um, bachelor's degree in so-and-so. Getting this in context, I think, would be helpful. And also making sure that you respect a caregiver in their work-life balance. Don't expect people to pick up every shift that you have available. And also don't bombard them with so many text messages, because that was one thing I hated as a scheduler, is that I was supposed to send out a text for every shift that we had. But I knew full well that not every caregiver was going to pick up the shifts that I sent out. So I was like, why don't I just send out the shifts that I know a caregiver will want or should be available for and only send those to them. So they're not seeing things that they know they aren't available for or I know that I'm, they're not available for. So just make sure you're respectful of a caregiver's time, their phone, their availability. And um, also not double booking. Make sure that they are prepared when it comes to training and really just over communicate. Um, is what I would suggest when it comes to staffing issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Excellent. Um, you know, it, something you said reminded me of uh, something many years ago when I was a lot younger. I worked in a company. I, I came from IT for years, and you know, when I was first in the business, that the company had a had a had a practice of always hiring these new rookies because you know they wanted to pay them less, and they were hoping that when they would go in, it would be an easy fix or whatever. The problem was is that every single time somebody kept coming back coming back because you know they weren't fixing or they didn't have enough wisdom to know that but they were sending these all these different young people and this is not even anything personal this is like just fixing a a, a computer or fixing a you know whatever it is in the office and so i tell people there's a reason why when you think of it on a personal level with caregiving that's a whole different ballgame because there's a reason we go to the same doctor for years the reasons we go to the same mechanic the same whatever because it's trust and when it's such mm -hmm. a small like like a, a, such a personal thing as caregiving and all of a sudden if we just send a different person we don't give them any notice we don't that person could be really awesome but the problem was it was setting the right expectations right and 
So all of a sudden a person's like, oh, great, another new person. And this is I get to start all over with this person. I I've already explained everything to this to, you know, the last person and the person before and whatever. So, you know, these are things that I think a lot of places have to take into account. And it's not easy, of course, because, you know, very often when they're already dealing, like you said, with the, you know, the staffing crisis as it stands, you're you're trying to move people around and everything. But sometimes there has to be a bit more foresight and, and thought given as to. What about the actual, you know, client? You know, there's been a lot of talk about changing the word patient to client or customer mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it might start making people think a little bit differently about them um, rather than just another patient or whatever. Um, anyway, so. I, I know we're running out of time, Jennifer. I, I thought this was really great. You're a very lovely human being and. Um, and, and clearly um, what you're doing is amazing. I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to leave it as if you want to add anything else before we're gone, then now's the time. <laughs> Go ahead. I am pretty much set. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really great time. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Uh, let's, uh, of course, stay in touch and uh, we look forward to circulating this on all our social media, uh, letting people know what the amazing Jennifer is doing. Um, and uh, it was lovely to talk with you. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. You Thank you so much.